Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio. 630 Chad. 6.30 Chad and the Edmonton Oilers Hockey Club present the show that is everything Oilers. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by Digitex. Office supplies at huge savings? Yeah, Digitex does that. D-I-G-I-T-E-X dot C-A on Oilers Radio. 6.30 Chad. Hour number two of Oilers Now. It's 106 in Edmonton. Uh, I will get back to some of your texts. A lot of texts came in, in the last half hour segment. We'll try to squeeze those in uh, after our two guests in the next hour, which include courtesy Legacy Heating and Cooling, John Shannon, and Oilers forward Connor Yamamoto, who signed a uh, one-year deal Saturday morning. The second hour of Oilers Now is brought to you by Digitex. Digitex.ca is Alberta's number one owned and operated place to buy office technology and software. Uh, we will tell you that keep texting us on the Ashley Fine Floors text line 780-496-0063. Get the new floors you've always wanted with Ashley Fine Floors. 143rd Street, 111th Avenue, open Monday to Saturday. And... You can reach us on our River Creek Resort Casino hotline, 780-496-0063, the River Creek Resort and Casino Excitement. Bet on it. We will tell you today is election day. Um, my wife, myself, and my daughter were out uh, voting this morning. Uh, make sure you vote, too. And uh, we bring aboard uh, not just our NHL insider, but our number one uh, go-to man in all things that are political, uh, dating all the way back to the John Diefenbaker era, we welcome back to the show, 1957 to 63. Uh, we welcome Pearson, 63 to 68. Uh, we welcome back to the show, John Shannon. John, how you doing? Just for the record, um, you know, there was a time when uh, John Diefenbaker was Prime Minister, John Kennedy was the President, and I thought everybody named John were really important. Yeah, well... <laughs> So yeah, I, was, I guess I was wrong. I was I wasn't around in 1963, so that's when the know, that's when the crossover would have been, right? So I guess 60 yeah. to 63. What am I saying? 60 to 63. Sure, yeah. Sure. Well, and, and Kennedy and Diefenbaker did not have a great relationship. No, and that was uh, that was a, a major issue. Although they did get a few things done, the opening of the uh, the St. Lawrence Seaway and a few other things, but Diefenbaker and Kennedy did not see eye to eye on very very much. How old were you when Kennedy got assassinated on November 22, 1963? I was in uh, Ms. Kerntop's room in grade two. Yeah. Long we got sent home. And we got sent home. You guys got sent home. Wow. For yeah. an American yeah. president getting assassinated. Wow. Oh, 
it was Bob. It was as compelling, com- emotional event uh, as anybody could ever remember. It, you know, it was really in many ways. Uh, in, from the end of the Second World War, which I was not around for, right. uh, to 1963, it was uh, it was the the first time in that period of time in the 17 or 18 years since the end of the war uh, where the world was on standby. It yeah. really was similar yeah. to similar to you know generations talk about what happened 20 years ago with uh, with 9/11. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, and of course, we've got all these conspiracy theories and on why this, you know, we have people, John, I read the numbers today. Uh, over the course of the last 120 days in the province of Alberta, there have been 129 people aged 12 to 39 uh, go into ICU in the province. 129 over the last 120 days. All 129 were unvaccinated. I'm not telling people to get vaccinated. I'm just providing the numbers. <laughs> so, but it's it, we have people that oh, it's a conspiracy. Like, and the whole concept of the conspiracy theory, where it originally sort of generated from, was the Warren Commission, of course, which was the Kennedy assassination. I know I've told you this story before. When I when I lived on the acreage as a kid, my dad had saved the newspapers, uh, and it, I, I couldn't figure out why the dates were different. Like, I'm looking at the news. One's in 1963, one's in 68. I didn't know that there was two Kennedys assassinated when I was, like, in grade three, in grade four, right? I didn't know that both of them. And many people would suggest that, from a pure altruistic perspective, that maybe Bobby Kennedy was the Kennedy that was playing at a higher moral plane. Is that a fair assessment? It is. Uh, the summer of 68 was a really scary time uh, when you think about, uh, and again, not to get too heavy, but not only the assassination of, of, of RFK, but uh, Martin Luther King was assassinated too. And uh, we, at that point, at that point, we thought the world was falling apart again. Yeah. And uh, I was older. Uh, older. We. It was something that you talked about a great deal. You talked about it at the dinner table. You talked about it in school. Um, and there was a it was a real concern at that period of time, and and that's when uh, Vietnam was escalating. Uh, and again, I I grew up in a little town not far from the U.S. border, and we were affected by that because there were many people fleeing the war, and they were coming across the border to live in our hometown. As we've discussed before, my uh, little sister ended up marrying Aaron Downey's little brother, and they live in Nelson, B.C. I get texts from Nelson from a couple guys that I, I know there. And that is where a lot, if I'm not mistaken, a lot of the draft dodgers, as a that was the term they used for them back then. I don't know if that's mm-hmm. you can use. That's where a bunch of them ended up going. Was into Nelson, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. The Kootenays in the Okanagan, where um, I would say that the uh, the border patrol wasn't necessarily as harsh as it is in other places. It was pretty easy to cross the border at that period of time. I and mean, we used to we used to cross the border without passports. We used to cross the border just to go get donuts in the little town across the. Uh, across the line um and it was uh, friends and family you'd wave at the border patrol guy and he'd say hey john good to see you have a good day and we'd, we'd go across the border so wow. it was a much different time best player from nelson would that be i'm thinking was Dan- what, what, uh, danny gary uh, well, danny gary yeah pat price would have an argument but danny gary certainly uh was i mean he was uh, when you think of what he did as a saber was prolific and uh, you know former calvary centennial on that great line with Brian Carlin and and, and Jerry Holland in, in Calgary for Scotty Monroe. Yeah, uh, back when Wild Bill Hunter was with the Oil Kings. 
Um, and it's interesting because when we think of Pat Price, people forget he was a. We had somebody actually, and we're gonna we're gonna transition this into into the Oilers. Uh, we had people. I said, well, you know, I could foresee a scenario during the course of the year. I asked the listeners. What's your biggest concern heading into trading camp, and where's your greatest area of confidence? And the fans totally think that the Oilers significantly upgraded it forward. Edmonton last year was seventh in the league, tied for seventh in save percentage. Uh, but a lot of the fans think there needs to be an upgrade there. And I said, well, you know, I could foresee a scenario where Ken Holland ends up moving a first-round pick if the goaltending isn't there for Edmonton during the course of the year to upgrade that position. And then we had Texas say, well, the last time you moved a first-round pick, you ended up trading away... Uh, you know, trading a 16 and a 33 to get Griffin Reinhardt. And there were some people that compared Griffin Reinhardt a bit to Pat Price, as I recall, because Pat Price was a pretty highly sought-after commodity when he uh, he was a first-round pick, wasn't he, John? He was, but if you remember, Pat was signed with the WHA first. Right. right. But Pat, uh, he and... Uh... He and, the, and and Ronnie Chipperfield actually uh, both signed and and uh, it, for WHA teams before they uh, uh, they got to the National Hockey League. And, no, and there was no question in the mid seventies, Pat Price was viewed as a uh, he was going to be a star no matter what. And he, and and quite frankly, he never really uh, got to the potential that he saw we saw him with in junior hockey. Yeah, former Saskatoon Blade Pat Price, by the way. Yeah was the number one pick of the WHA draft in 1974 and mm-hmm. was the number 11 pick in the NHL draft in 1975 by the New York Islanders. And that's oh, where Islanders. Okay. Yeah, and that's where I think some of the comparables were. Reinhardt was drafted by the Islanders as well. He went fourth overall. Uh, Price was a, a six foot two, 195 pound left shot guy. Reinhardt was six foot four, 200 pounds. Uh, Reinhardt went from the Islanders to the Oilers, or uh, obviously Islanders organization to the Oilers. Pat Price went from the Islanders organization to Edmonton. And even in his first two years, I mean, there's no question Pat Price was tougher. Like, he was tougher than, than Reinhardt. He was willing to fight. He had 322 penalty minutes one year for the Penguins after he left Edmonton. But he had a couple 30 uh, points. I mean, he's with the Oilers. Um, and then he got moved during the 80-81 season just before Edmonton went into the playoffs with Montreal. You, you would have worked some of his games. I mean, that was oh, yeah. good. Oh, no. Yep. I knew Pat. I knew Pat pretty well at that point. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, what, what Pat became was Pat was supposed to be a mobile rushing defenseman. Yep. And by the time he got to Edmonton, he became a stay-at-home guy. The, the fascination with Pat is that Pat still loved to chatter. He was a chirpy guy all the time on and off the ice. I know I know in the dressing room every once in a while it would drive Wayne nuts that Pat was telling stories. Uh, so Pat, but Pat Price uh, it was a, a good serviceable defenseman for his time in Edmonton. And we should mention Pat Price did play 726 games in the NHL, which is that's got to be at least <laughs> I lost a bet on this, by the way, on, on Griffin Reinhardt, but I, I'm going to say that's probably 670 more games. Griffin Reinhardt got into 37 NHL games. I had to, and I had a bet with Derek Van D said he'd get in at least 30 games in 15, 16, and he played 29. So missed by that much. Uh, all right, so the Oilers got burnt on that deal. Did not work out. And you know what, John? That's one where Edmonton's got to know that player better than anybody else. And for the exact, yes. the exact reason that Darnell Nurse, I bet on Darnell because of work ethic, ultimately in desire, that's what held back Griffin Reinhardt. I think uh, that's a fair assessment. Like, the organization should have known him the best. Should they not have? 
they should have. You know, over the amount of time he was uh, with the Oil Kings and was on that, you know, that Memorial Cup winning team that they won in London. Uh, the thing, the thing with Griffin was. Um, in, in junior hockey, with his size and his composure, and and I know people find that hard to believe after after his short period of time in the NHL, Griffin Reinhardt could control junior hockey. He could control a game. Um, he was an intimidating force in his own zone. But you know that that's when there's only six or seven guys on the other team. Uh, that are at that same elite level, but when you're in the NHL, there's there's 18 guys uh, on the team that you're going to have to manage, and and that's the part that I think Griffin Reinhardt had a terrible time with. He couldn't he, he couldn't manage the fourth liners. He couldn't manage the first liners because everybody was everybody was at that level of of quality of play. Um, you know, it's and and on top of that, once he did get acquired by the Oilers, the expectation was that he was going to become the second coming of a one of the great Oilers defensemen, and it, it just it wasn't fair. It wasn't fair to him. It wasn't fair to the situation. All right, uh, you can text us on the Ashley Fine Floors. I had somebody call me a communist on the show earlier today, really, because really? I read I read the, uh, the the COVID stats out on. Uh, all of which is right on the Alberta Health uh, website. Uh, this texture says, Bob, I doubt a tree planter would be a communist. Send that idiot up north for a summer and see how difficult it is. Just might show you a little bit more respect. Wow. From one screefer to another, he says. Uh, so he obviously did the job back in the day. Of course, we got paid peace rate, John. That was the key, right? It was all your own individual <laughs> effort. Paid by, paid by the tree, right? Paid by the tree, yes. <laughs> and the good guys were there for the money. Like, that's what they were there for, you know? Oh, there, sure. There were some people that liked the lifestyle. I was not one of them. I liked the money. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, let's get back to the question in hand, because the, the, the texters have brought it up here in the Ashley Fine Floors text line. Would you be prepared to move a first? Well, I'll ask you point blank. Do you think that Ken Holland, because we know the orders inquired on Darcy Kemper, do you believe Ken Holland would be prepared to sacrifice a first-round pick for the right goaltender during the course of the season? I don't. I, I don't know about that. Um, I, for one, would never, ever, ever give up my first round picks. I just. It, it, it's one of those things. You know, in the old days in the Toronto Blue Jays baseball, Paul Beeston used to be in charge, and he'd say, "We're never going to give anybody longer than five years. That's going to be our policy." Well, I, my policy is I never trade in the first round pick. So I, I wonder. Um, in the short term, if it's worth it, and if you can, if you can find somebody and lock them in for three or four years uh, as a goaltender, uh, is it worth considering? So um, the, the other thing is, here, here's the hard part. You talked about how well uh, the team played from a goaltender perspective last year, and Mike, Mike Smith deserves a ton of credit. Uh, to hear all this chatter that they need to upgrade, what do you think it does to Mike's confidence? It makes him even cockier. And you know he was on the ice today, and he's coming off the ice, and then, you know somebody's listening and saying, hey, "Hey, the guys on the radio are saying you're no good." Uh, that'll just make Mike even angrier. <laughs> that'll make that'll that'll give Mike another reason to stay focused and and be a, as competitive as there there can be in in the goaltending position, not just for the Oilers but in the NHL. I think Mike deserves a chance to continue what he did. Um, but at a certain point, whether it's somebody to compliment Mike, uh, I think that there's something to be said that Kenny would, might have to look at that. Well, uh, and I, I think Koskinen's, here's the thing, I, I think Koskinen's going to have a better save percentage in the last season. And I don't, I mean, it, it's to me, it's going to be hard for Mike Smith to duplicate 
what he did last. He had a 9.23. I mean, that is, I mean, realistically, John, that's pretty. Oh, I, it's just, it, sure it is. Right? Sure like, it is. But, but, but a lot of it started with, you know, I mean, a lot of it started with what uh, what his defensive mates uh, did for him and what the team did for him. But so much, I, I think you have to give Mike so much more credit than he's, than he's been given at times because he's such a linchpin to this team on and off the ice. The emotional leader of, he's one of the emotional leaders of this team. Um, and I, I think when, when you're able at his age to be able to carve out a two-year contract, um, from the from the Oilers, uh, I think that there's a real belief that he's still at uh, at an elite level. Nine twenty three. Did he have a great playoff? He didn't have a great playoff, but I think that that will just fuel him to be that much better this year. Nine twenty three for Smith, eight ninety nine for Koskinen would not support me or surprise me in the least if Mike Smith came down to nine ten and nine fifteen and Koskinen got back up nine oh seven and nine fifteen. Well, well, we, we, you know, how many games did uh, Miko start the season? Was it 13? 12 of the first 13? 13, John. Okay. So, in theory, that's not going to happen. You know, I mean, that's not going to happen again. And so there's good. Both guys are going to go be put through a, a pace that says Smith plays two, Koskinen plays one, I assume, uh, at least to start the season. Um, but we'll see. I think that that will be important to make sure that uh, that Koskinen gets off to a better start. And the year before, Koskinen was nine seventeen, and Smith was nine oh two. So I mean, if again, the Oilers had the seventh best save percentage in the National Hockey League last year, and they got the yeah. two goaltenders back. So it'd be intriguing to see. John, we've had some uh, tracer fire from some of There's a nice uh, war correspondent uh, uh, terminology for you. Had some tracer fire from uh, some individuals uh, suggesting and applying Edmonton's not tough enough for Calgary. They need to toughen up. Are you concerned at all about those matchups between those two teams? No. No, I'm not. Because, I mean, uh, I, I think at this point, I think that uh, we're certainly going to see, I think, a different personality from Calgary with Daryl behind the bench for a full season. Um, but uh, I, I guess my answer is that you have to catch guys to be able to be tougher with them. And I don't think they're going to catch Connor. I don't think they're going to catch Leon. Um, and as long as you can control the puck, uh, I think the, and I do think a guy like Hyman, uh, adds uh, a level of a different type of toughness. I mean, we're not talking brawling toughness, but we're talking physical play. And I think that the, I think the Oilers are just fine that way. And I think that a guy like Darnell Nurse uh, is is you know coming into his own as uh, with a new deal and new confidence. And I don't think there's anybody tougher on either team than Darnell Nurse. Are the Vegas Golden Knights as good without Mark Andre Fleury? That's a really good question. Um, you know, if Robin Leonard is in shape, um, then I think that they might have a they they will have as equal goaltending, but they won't have as consistent a goaltending because I don't you know if you know when when you think about who the number two goalie is in Vegas now versus having Flurry and Leonard as a as a, a partnership, I don't think their goaltending is strong for eighty two games. Laurent Brassois, by the way, right. Uh, do the other two Canadian teams in the Pacific, are they better than Seattle and the three Cali teams, Calgary and Vancouver? If uh, Hughes and uh, Pedersen get signed, the answer is I think Vancouver is. Okay. Uh, I, I think the big question mark, you know, I think the, the, the rebuild in, in California of all three teams 
is going to be a challenge, although I think L.A. is really trying to retool quickly. Me too. I think the biggest question mark in the Pacific in the end isn't Seattle. I think it's Calgary. Hmm. I, mean, I, I, I wonder where Calgary is in all of this. Sure, J- Jacob Markstrom's a good player. Chris Tanev's a good player. No question. Um, but I think we expected changes from Mon- with Monaghan and Goodrow still in the lineup, and I'm not sure that that's really the right answer. But you know darn well they're going to play different for Daryl for 82 games than they did last year. No question. I'm going to leave you with John Diefenbaker's most famous quote. <laughs> okay. I am a Canadian, free to speak without fear, free to worship in my own way, free to stand for what I think, free to oppose what I believe wrong, or free to choose those who shall govern my country. This heritage of freedom I pledge to uphold for myself and all mankind. John Diefenbaker, well, Canadian Prime a Minister. Great he was a great orator. There's no question about that. That just tells people to go out and vote today, please. 57 to 63. Great stuff, John. Thanks for your time. Have a great day, Bob. You bet. That is John Shannon for Legacy Heating and Cooling. Whether it's heating or cooling you need, get it with no payment, no interest for a year. That's how you build a legacy. Legacy Heating and Cooling. Bob Stoffer, Brendan Escott with you. And when... When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. We come back. We'll get to the uh, Oilers Now injury report for James H. Brown Injury Lawyers. This is Oilers Now. This is Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. Welcome back, everybody. It's 128 in Edmonton. We're going to go off to the Oilers Now Injury Report. It's brought to you by James H. Brown. Injury lawyers, the heavy hitters of injury law. When accidents happen, go to jameshbrown.com. Here's Brendan Escott. Well, we mentioned it earlier, Dmitry Samarukov suffering a broken jaw early in Saturday's rookie game. He's expected to be out for six weeks. Red Wings defenseman Jared McIsaac, he's okay now after being stretchered off the ice in their rookie game against Columbus on the weekend. Former uh, Canadian World Junior defenseman lost consciousness after hitting his head uh, first on the ice, or sorry, on the glass and then uh, on the ice. And Blues forward Oscar Sundqvist, he's going to miss the start of the season recovering from ACL surgery. Got a text here on the Ashley Fine Floors text line from Phil. Fear the Finn, the San Jose Sharks, and Stanford Cardinal fan. Bob, do your homework. You and John need to do your homework. San Jose, as Doug Wilson has said all summer, are in a reset. Haven't we heard that term great? Reset. Anyways, oh well, Oilers fans will believe anything. That one comes to us from Phil, a.k.a. Fear the Fin. Off to a global news weather traffic update with Eileen Bell. And when we come back, 
By the way, Brigham Young won again this weekend. Uh, when we come back, we'll hook up with Oilers forward Kyler Yamamoto. This is Oilers Now. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio. 630 Chad.